Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. We're glad you're here again today, and uh, I, I really believe God's got something to, to say to you, and I hope, it, I hope it helps you, encourages you today. So we're gonna go to Romans three, but we're also gonna jump back into Daniel chapter six. And uh, has the past two weeks on Daniel six, has it been helping anybody? It, I really hope it's been helping. We talked about Daniel's spirit of excellence. We talked about last week how an excellent spirit is an available one. And I really, really hope that it helped. And uh, then this week, I got to go to uh, Dallas, Texas and preach in Dallas, Texas this week for Brian and Crystal Sparks. And uh, so I've had, I had a good week and I preached the sermon on uh, excellence there and availability and I really feel like it's something that, that God has, has uh, given me to, that's not just for Calvary, but it's for the church at large. Matter of fact, I'm going away soon. I'm gonna be preaching at Bishop McBath's for him on a Sunday, and uh, I'm gonna share the same, the same thoughts with them. I think, it, I think it's just a word in season. And uh, I think this is a good way today to finish out this thought on Daniel, because truly, Daniel, uh, his life can be used as... Uh, a way for us to look at and follow his example and the principles of his life. But truly, more than anything, Daniel gives us a clear picture of redemption, of God's plan to save mankind. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna give you that as our last thought, leaving these uh, three sermons here in the book of Daniel. But I'm gonna start in Romans chapter three. I'm reading from the NIV version if you wanna follow along on the screens. And uh, if they could throw that up there. Romans chapter three. I'm gonna start in verse 19. This is what the Bible says. It says, now, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Can somebody say amen? amen? I don't know if you understand all of that or not, but that is good news for you and for me, and we're gonna talk about it today. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the opportunity to be here, to hear your word. Thank you for bringing us together. I'm praying over these next few moments you would speak clearly to us so that our lives would be challenged and changed for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Can we thank God for our worship team? I'm so grateful for these incredible people. I love them. So when we use the statement, the law, the phrase, the law, I wanna, I wanna let you know what, 
what I'm talking about because I'm gonna say that a few times over the course of this sermon and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. When we say the law, a lot of people have things that come to their mind. They think about the Ten Commandments, but not only is uh, the law pertaining to the Ten Commandments, but the law actually is a whole lot more than that. There are actually hundreds of commands that were given to the Israelites. And the phrase the law refers specific, specifically to the first five books and the decrees found in the first five books of the Bible. The whole body of the law, all 613 laws, are actually the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So we discover that when we look at the Bible, there are actually uh, more than just the Ten Commandments that God expects. There are 613, and in these, there are ceremonial laws, there are laws of, of like harvest and festivals and things that you were supposed to do on certain days of the year. There's moral law, there's dietary laws, and so many laws that it's actually totally humanly impossible to keep them all. And for the person who thinks that they can do it, and they mess up one time, James made it very clear for us that even though you think you keep the whole thing and, and, and I've only messed up in maybe one or like I kind of broke half of one, James said in James chapter two, verse 10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So in other words, if you do the right thing but you did the right thing on the wrong day, you messed the whole thing up. And so James is saying, you can't do it, it's impossible. And when you don't do it, even if you only messed up in one point of it, you've actually broken the whole thing. And Daniel chapter six gives us a very wonderful story of what it means to truly break the law and the repercussions for breaking the law. If you wanna to turn to Daniel chapter six, you can, if you don't want to, you can just follow along on the screens or you can just listen. But the Bible gives us this interesting story in Jan Daniel chapter six. We've been talking about Daniel's excellence out of Daniel chapter six. But really the key to this whole story is what follows the story of Daniel's excellence. Because the Bible tells us that because Daniel had an excellent spirit that the people around him hated it and they wanted to find some fault in Daniel. And so they actually created a law that would cause Daniel to have to make a decision. He was either gonna keep the law of the king or he was going to pray like he prayed every day. And the Bible says that the king made a law that unless you come to him in the next 30 days, that going to anybody else, including a God or anybody else other than him, meant that you would be thrown into the lion's den. So this is what the Bible says in Daniel chapter six and verse 10. So now Daniel has learned that this decree has been published. He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. And they said, did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. 
Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. And he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, I'm sure to his shock, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found what? Innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had what? Trusted in his God. Wow. When Daniel makes the decision to worship God, to pray to God, the Bible says that he finds himself at odds with the law that the king had made. And here's the thing, because the king loved Daniel, he sought for some way to save Daniel's life, but because the king was not above his laws, he could not go back on his decree. He had to follow through with what he had decided to do. Even though the king loves Daniel, he could not change his mind. Even though the king had a relationship with Daniel, he could not change the rules just because he liked Daniel. He could not relax the rules just because he had a relationship with Daniel. See, the law is inflexible. It does not bend. It does not break. Matthew 5 and 18 says, not one jot or tittle will be taken out. It cannot be lessened. It cannot be relaxed. When it comes to the law, when it comes to what God requires, what the king requires, it's a standard that cannot be dropped for you or for me. And the reality is, is because of that it's terrible news. It's terrible news that no matter how much the king likes me or no matter how much favor I have from the king or no matter how close we are in relationship, he cannot adjust the rules for me. And here is one of the great misconceptions of Christianity is that somehow the grace of God involves God setting aside or circumventing or ignoring the rules because he likes us a whole lot. The very least, we think sometimes that Jesus actually was God's lowering of the standard. Like that Jesus came along and because Jesus came along, like the, real, the happy side of God was like, hey guys, listen, God's not really that mad and I'm gonna talk to him for you and I'm gonna calm him down and everything's gonna be okay. And, 
And we think Jesus was like this version of God that was like happier and nicer and loved more and was more kind and compassionate, but that's just not the reality. If anything, Jesus raised the standard back to its original intention. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he says stuff like this. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And actually, when he taught in Matthew chapter 5, he actually raised the standard from where humans had brought it down from. In other words, Jesus would come in and he would say stuff like this. He would say, you heard it said that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you think about it, you've already committed it. How high is that standard? Jesus continues to go on. He says stuff like, hey, listen, you heard it said, don't hate your brother. But if, but if you say bad things about your brother, you're in danger of hellfire. How many of us would be like no chance just for that one verse. The standard Jesus set for marriage, the standard Jesus set, he said, hey, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Be better you, for you to enter the kingdom of heaven maimed than it would be for you to enter hell with all of your capacities. Jesus set the standard so high. And then he looked at us like, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Literally preached that message and then walked away. Why did he do that? He did that to make the law so impossible that nobody would look at it and say, you know what? I can do that. He did that to make sure that every one of us at some point in his message was hit with something that we could not do. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. So Jesus didn't come and say, hey, listen, you know, do your best. <sighs> Love each other. Hopefully it works out. It's not what he said. To think that it's flawed. Because Jesus raised the standard. Jesus, even though God loves us, Jesus couldn't get God to change the law. So Jesus had to do what only he could do and fulfill it. And the reason that's good news for us today is because A.W. Tozer says this. He says, the cross is the lightning rod of grace that short circuits God's wrath to Christ so that only the light of his love remains for believers. See, I think there's, there's part of us that wants to believe that somehow God doesn't demand perfection, that God just really wants us to try hard, and the ones who try hard get into heaven. It's a flawed view of God's holiness to think that you can approach God with flaws. You can approach God with imperfections. You can approach God messed up. You can't. And so the, the bad news is that you can't, but the good news is, is that Jesus can. And the only thing you must do to be saved is to put your confidence in the thing that Jesus did that you couldn't do for yourself. I have, in my life, I have, I have, uh, 
I've never seen a greater dilemma in the church than this dilemma. I've been preaching God's grace for a long time and over that period of time, I've had a lot of people challenge me and tell me I'm not a preacher, I'm not a man of God and I don't preach the truth and I've heard all of it, I've heard it all. And, and over that period of time, do you know that I have, I have never seen the problem with people following Jesus, I've never seen the problem of people thinking that they can get away with anything as the major problem in the church. People having this idea that once I get saved, I can do whatever I want, God's cool with it. I don't think that that is the prevalent mindset of people who follow Jesus. But can I tell you what I do believe? I have seen more than any other issue that is plaguing the church is this issue. People who think that they can, because of their good works, somehow earn their salvation. That's the problem I've seen. I don't see a bunch of people running around saying, God doesn't care how I live. I see a bunch of people running around saying, if I'm good enough, he'll love me. If I give enough, he'll love me. If I serve enough, if I somehow in this life balance out the scales of my bad stuff and my good stuff, and I get to heaven and like maybe Jesus tips the scales somehow in my favor. But can I, can, I, can I tell you this? That the greatest misuse of God's grace is not people who think they can do anything and get away with it. The greatest misuse of God's grace is people who think that they can earn their salvation. Let me give you a little bit of scripture for that. Galatians chapter two and verse 21 says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So in other words, he's saying you never treat God as more meaningless than when you deny that the thing that's gonna get you into heaven is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When you act as if there is something that you can do something that you can add to what God has done, some way you can earn, some way you can justify God's goodness in your life. When you act like you can do that, what you say to God is, I don't need Jesus, I've got this covered. But I feel like I'm in a room full of people today who feel like without Jesus, I'm totally uncovered. Like everything in my life needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Is there anybody in here who even feels like your good stuff needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus? Because even my goodness isn't good enough. I need his grace. So I never undermine the work of Jesus more than when I act like I can add to what Jesus has done. Man, and religious people don't like to hear that. There's some people in here that are uncomfortable right now, and the reason many of us are uncomfortable is because there's this one thing that we want to hold on to that we are afraid to release. We are, we are committed to keeping as many people out as we possibly can. You're like, no, that's not me. Well, every time 
that you think that because you didn't do what somebody else did, that you're going to heaven and they're not, that's exactly what you do. Because every time you think that because you've been faithful and you've been going to church, you've been reading your Bible, you've been giving, and the person who is out of church and who's struggling in addiction or whose life is falling apart, and you think that for some reason because you're doing all of this stuff and they're doing all of this stuff, that you are saved and they are not, then you have mistaken what Jesus has done in your life. I don't do good to get good. I do good because he is good. And when I have found myself in this condition, the condition where people will look at me and think, man, he's not saved. Man, he's not going to heaven. Man, he can't possibly make it. Man, he's not done enough good stuff. Man, do you look at the condition of his life? How could he possibly make it? I was asked this week, Dad, do you believe this person is going to heaven? And I said, I hope and pray they are, because if they aren't, then that means I'm not. Because at the end of all of this, you know what I'm counting on? I'm counting on God's love more than I'm counting on my love. I'm counting on God's faithfulness more than I am counting on my faithfulness. I'm leaning into the scripture that says when I am unfaithful, he remains faithful. Even when I make my bed in hell, he pursues me and he chases me down there. I'm praying and believing that where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I'm putting my confidence in what he has done and not me. Because if this is on me, then I'm done. If this, if this depends on me, like outweighing my bad stuff with good stuff, then I'm done. I have no hope, and neither do you. All of us are in the same condition as that thief that was on the cross beside Jesus, who had no opportunity to get off of that cross and do any good works, who had no opportunity to balance out the scales in his life. He had spent his life stealing from people. And the Bible says that in a moment, when he confessed Jesus as Lord, and he asked the question, can I be with you? Jesus turned and looked at him and said, today. He didn't say, no, maybe tomorrow when you get all your stuff ironed out. There was no tomorrow for him. There was no next minute. Jesus said, today, you will be with me. Is there anybody in this room grateful today that today you are with him? Your salvation is, is not a future thing that's gonna happen. It's a now thing. When you confess him as those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whatever your condition when you call, whatever your circumstances when you call, you will be saved. I love even the story of the prodigal son. The Bible says that he, there was a father, he had two sons, one stayed home and he did all of the good stuff that a good son is supposed to do, but there was another son that ran away from home and he took all of his money and he wasted it in, in living, living a, uh, quite the sinful life. He was, he was paying for prostitutes and when the money ran out for him to, to pay for his, his prostitutes and his alcohol and all of that, the Bible says that he found himself in the middle of a pigsty, and as a Jewish person, this would be the lowest of the lows. The prostitutes wouldn't be the lowest. The drinking wouldn't be the lowest. Hanging out with pigs would have been the lowest point. He finds himself at his lowest point, and the Bible says that he comes to himself. He decides, hey, 
my dad's house is better than this. Even just being a servant in my dad's house is better than this. So he pulls himself together, he finds his way home. He gets home and before any words could come out of his mouth, the father starts to put a ring on his finger, starts to put shoes on his feet, starts to put a robe around him, reinstates him as a Lord in the house, as a son in the house, as one with authority in the house. And this is what I love. I love that because the father did all of that before the son could even say anything, watch this, even if the son never came home, he was in the same condition. Some people are like, well, he had to come home. He had to come to himself and come home or he would have gone to hell. And I said, no, even if he would have died in the pigsty, he would have still been that man's son. You can't change that. When God makes the decision to call somebody his son, that's a decision that God guarantees. And guess what? No self-righteous Christian gets to undo that. No holier-than-thou church gets to unsave anybody. Can I tell you, God saves. And at the end of this, God makes that decision. And guess what I'm counting on? I'm counting on him. I'm not counting on you. I'm not counting on, your, I'm not counting on you to be a witness for me when we get to heaven. But God, he was really good. God's like, no, it doesn't matter. I, I saved him. I don't need your testimony. I have the testimony of Jesus who says he's in right standing with me. And he's going to live with me forever. I think this is important for us because when you look at Daniel chapter six, you see something really powerful. You see that Daniel has broken the law. The king cannot address or adjust, can't save, can't intervene. Daniel's fate is sealed because he broke the law. And Daniel finds himself in a lion's den. And the Bible says that in the lion's den, the angel of the Lord comes down and Daniel says, he describes it this way. He said, the angel of the Lord came and he shut the mouth of the lions because I was found innocent in his eyes. He shut the mouth of the lions. And sometimes I think we read the Bible and we put ourselves as the character of Daniel or we put ourselves as the character of Moses or we make ourselves the character of Noah or we make ourselves, you know, David and the giant. And when you do that, you really miss the power of the Old Testament. Because the power of the Old Testament is not that you're David, it's not that you're Daniel, it's not that you're Moses, it's that you serve a Jesus who is a better Daniel, who is a better David, who's a better Moses, and Jesus defeated all of those things for you. In other words, you did, God's not... You're not gonna get into heaven because you threw a stone and hit the giant. You're gonna get into heaven because Jesus, your better David, stood in front of that giant and knocked the giant down for you. See, you read the Bible and you read about a David who took a, a, a lion and he ripped his mouth wide open. Have you ever heard a story of that before then or after them? You don't hear about that. Nobody's like in the jungles of Africa and they come out like, yo, I, a lion attacked me and I ripped its mouth wide open. That doesn't happen because that's not intended to be a story about us. We don't tear the mouth of the lion open. We don't kill the bear. Jesus kills the bear for us. See, if you put yourself in the story as the hero of the story, you're always going to fall short. But if you stop being the hero of the Bible and you put yourself as, if you put, 
Put yourself as the woman who was called in adultery. Put yourself in that condition because that's really who we are. We're the person, we're the thief on the cross. We're not the Davids. We're not the Moseses. We're not the Daniels. Jesus is a better Daniel. Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus is the hero of this story. You can't save yourself. You can't do it. You need Jesus. Galatians chapter three and verse 11 says this, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God trying to keep the law, for the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. It's a dangerous thing to move off of the ground of grace. It's a dangerous thing to move off of the ground of grace. The book of Hebrews, the writer is confronting Jewish people who are trying to serve Jesus, but they're also trying to earn their salvation. And he uses language like trampling on the blood of Jesus. You're, you're waiting for something else to save you and someone else to come or Jesus is it. You're trying to save yourself through circumcision and strict adherence to the law and you can't do it. He's constantly trying to remind them that you need to put your total faith in Christ. You need to come completely out of Judaism, a works-based system, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. People talk about it all the time. Well, they fell from grace. The only way to truly fall from grace is to depend on your works. We think when somebody, we, oh, they fell from grace, we think, oh, it's because they, 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 they're, they're, in, they're into drugs, and oh, they fell from grace. No, that's not what the Bible's talking about. You, you fall from grace when you start to rely on your works. When you're like, I don't do that. I don't act like that. I'm not like them. I'm, I'm the one, I'm saved. Really? Have you, have you 24 hours a day, seven days a week been keeping it like that? Remember, Jesus didn't just deal with actions, Jesus dealt with thoughts, so your thought life is totally pure. You're gonna get to heaven and be like, God, I never thought an impure thought. I don't think so. I think every person in this room is gonna have to be like Daniel and say, hey, the angel of the Lord intervened. His name is Jesus. And he shut the mouth of the lines. I just sat there. What does God do? I know this is gonna be the question. What does God do? Because we all wanna know like how much sin is too much sin, right? That's the question we all wanna know. We all, like how far is too far? Like that's the question kids wanna know when they're dating somebody. Like what's that line that I can cross? Like can I, can I kiss? Can I, can, 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 can we, and, and every one of us are just like, because we want to know the line. Why? 
Not so that we can avoid it, so that we can walk right up to it. And be like, and then every now and then be like, ding. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Didn't mean it. I'll never do it again. And then like, <laughs> I, 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 no, I'm bad. I'm terrible. I'm bad. I'm, I'm terrible. I'm awful. I won't do it. I promise. Because we all want to know when, when is enough, when does God like enough is enough? I've had it. Can I, can I just give you good news today? God doesn't do that. There isn't an enough is enough. How, how much confidence could we have if we thought that we were gonna get to heaven and our judgment was going to be like, well, you, you, you didn't know this and it wasn't clearly defined, but back in 1995, you crossed the threshold and for the past 30 years, you haven't even been saved, my man, I'm sorry. What kind of confidence is that? There is none in that. So what, where, where do I get confidence from? I get confidence from the fact that I put it in Christ. And I, I'm like, when I'm faithless, he's faithful. When, when I don't have it all together, he, he does. When, when I can't get myself together, he's together. When, when I can't keep it, he keeps it. And you know what that does? If you really truly believe that and you put your confidence in that, that doesn't make you wanna act like a fool. That makes you want to start living right <laughs> because now my motive isn't, no, I'm trying to make sure I've got enough good works so I can make it to heaven. Now it's just like, no, I just, I just want him to know how much I love him because whether or not I'm good, he still loves me. When I don't have faith, he still has faith. And when... So what does God do with people who, who confess him as Lord but still struggle with Sin, what does God do? It's this incredible word that we don't talk much about in church. It's called discipline. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that he disciplines the ones he loves and that he chastens. Chasten, chastens is a very tough word. What, what the Bible is actually saying is that, is that God, because he loves you, will allow you to suffer the consequences of your sin. Now watch this. A lot of times we look at people and we're like, yep, there they are, suffering the consequences of their sin. But, but I choose to look at it differently. I, I choose to look at it this way. I choose to look at it, yeah, they're suffering the consequences of their sin, but they're also suffering the consequences of a faithful God who said that because he, he loves them, he's gonna discipline them. So what, what about that person who, who you see in church one week and then the next week they're out there in the world and they're doing, God's disciplining them. Because you know there's no fruit in that. You know there's only pain and suffering in that. And at some point, they're gonna suffer enough and they're gonna be like the prodigal and they're gonna be like, hey, this suffering is awful. It was better at my dad's house. I just would rather go back to dad's house. The Bible teaches us that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. People are like, why would a good God let good people suffer? Why would a good God let bad things happen? God lets bad things happen because he understands that suffering leads you back to the one who is good. Because you, you realize my way is painful 
my way is hell on earth. My way is destroying my life. My way is bringing me nothing but heartache. God's like, you're right there. It's a good God that allows people to suffer. And you're going to wrestle with that the rest of your life. It's because you're a son and you're a daughter. If he abandoned you, there would be joy in your rebellion. But because there's no joy in your rebellion, you know he hasn't left you. That's why you might have acted like a fool this week, but you're here today because you know better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Does anybody in this room want to stand on your feet and say, I choose your house. (laughs) You're better than I could ever be to myself. You're better than the best person in my life could ever be to me. Today, I just want to ask, I just want to ask this question. Have you truly put your confidence in Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus for salvation. Maybe you thought that if you were good enough, you were going to go to heaven, but I've got got bad news, but it's actually good news. The bad news is you'll never be good enough. The good news is you don't have to be because he is. Maybe you've been doing that. Maybe, Maybe you thought that because you went to church, you were saved, but that's not what saves you. You're saved when you put your confidence in Jesus Christ to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Maybe you're here today and you're saved, but you're just like, man, I've been trying to earn God's love. I've been trying to earn God's favor in my life. I've been trying to, I've been trying to, I've, I've treated salvation like an invoice or I've treated it like a loan I pay back. Salvation is not a loan you pay back. It's a gift you receive. Maybe you're one of those two people today and I'm gonna count to three and when I do, I want you to throw your hand up in the air because we're gonna pray with you And we're going to believe with you that today you're going to stop putting your trust and confidence in yourself. You're going to start putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Come on. Does anybody believe that today? One, two, three. Throw your hand up in the air if that's you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you. Anybody? I see you all. I see you guys. Come on. I see you guys over here. I see you. Come on. Keep it up real high. Just wave it like this. Come on, church. Let's rejoice today. Come on, your only hope is Jesus. Your only hope is Jesus. Hey, let's let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you gave your life for me. I give you my life. Take it all. Have your way. Use me for your glory. I repent of my sins. I confess you as Lord. Thank you for your great love for me. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted amen. Come on, one more time. Let's put our hands together and bless the Lord. Amen. Come on, there's another in the fire.